0: We continue in our series through the Gospel of Luke. This morning we find ourselves in Luke chapter 11. Our title of the sermon this morning is, Teach Us to Pray, and we are continuing on from last week. So this is part 2 of verses 1 through 13. Our key words for our worshipers in training are, Pray, Ask, and Gift. Now, as I was considering this passage, I remembered in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul begins to work through a series of exhortations given to Christians in light of what he has explained to them about their previously fallen state and their subsequent justification in Jesus Christ. He spends 11 chapters outlining the glory of the gospel and what God has accomplished in redeeming a fallen people and making them new creations in Christ. And then he says, now that you are saved, now that you are in Christ Jesus, walk in these things. And he gives a very detailed account of various things that we are called to walk in as God's people. And and sandwiched in between a lengthy list of distinctions that are attributes of a true Christian life, The Apostle Paul writes this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. The New American Standard translates it, Be devoted to prayer. And so that immediately causes me to ask the question, Can I look at my overall life and call myself someone who is constant, someone who is devoted to prayer? What does it even look like to be devoted to prayer? Obviously, to be constant in prayer doesn't mean we do nothing else in life but pray. It means that the pattern of praying in our lives will be such that we are in frequent prayer. In thanksgiving, in the midst of tribulation, we are experiencing true communion with God through prayer despite the circumstances of our lives. We are laboring diligently to bring before God all that is in our hearts that we might rest all the more in Him. Not that it should be our goal, but hypothetically, could any other person look at your life and in all honesty say, they are in constant prayer. They have a life devoted to prayer there are kinds of praying that i think all of us could agree in are honestly not lives that would look like being devotion uh, devoted to prayer and if those kinds of praying are describing your own life god in his word is calling you away from shallow and rather meaningless forms of prayer to greater devotion As you pursue communion with God in true prayer. If you only pray during times of crisis. If you only pray before you eat a meal. Just before you go to bed asking God to get you through the night. I think we can all agree that what God has revealed to us in the scriptures is far more commitment to prayer than this. None of those are bad things. None of those are bad times to pray. We should. We ought. But the command to be constant in prayer, to be devoted to prayer, carries far more weight to it than that. Now, last week, we were able to consider the pattern of prayer, the framework that Jesus gave to us. He gave it to the disciples when they asked them to teach them to pray. We considered each petition of the of what's known as the Lord's Prayer and the importance of not utilizing the Lord's Prayer as a sort of repetitive mantra or, or some kind of um, something we just say repetitively without thought. But rather it's a frame on which we build our prayer lives. It's on this frame that we build our lives of constant prayer. It's a starting place for us. It's a pattern we turn to that we can build lives devoted to prayer. And so now we will see in verses 5 through 13 that Jesus is going to address the expectancy, the persistence we ought to have in our prayers, as well as the attitude with which we come to God in prayer. All that Jesus is presenting to us is going to serve to make us a people of constant prayer. So let's pick up from where we left off last week, beginning in verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within do not bother me the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed i cannot get up and give you anything i tell you though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his because he is his friend yet because of his imprudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs now jesus presents the Disciples with a parable to highlight the importance of persistence in prayer. The story begins with a friend. So I want to take the story and help us to see it perhaps a bit more clearly. Let's say my friend, Pastor Murray Brett, whom I love and I want to serve, he stops by my house unexpectedly one night at midnight. He's been traveling up and down the East Coast, preaching. A few pastors got a hold of his book and been reading it and wanted him to come preach. He's just exhausted. He can't, he can't make it additional four hours to get back home to Commerce. He needs some rest. He's tired. He's very hungry. He knocks at our door and we are so delighted to see Murray. We have a room for him to stay in, but we, we realize... That we just had a big gathering in our home earlier that evening and we're completely out of food. Literally nothing in the refrigerator or the pantry. Maybe some ketchup and mustard. Maybe some mayonnaise in the refrigerator, which is where it belongs. Stuff is nasty. There might be some bacon in the freezer, but as much as I love you, I'm sorry. I'm not that sanctified. (laughs) In the past... Murray has shown us great hospitality. We want to return the favor while he's exhausted and famished. So I think, you know, Russ is an elder. He has a great job at Gulfstream. I know he has food in his pantry for me to give Murray. So I get in the car. I drive over to the Jenkins residence and start ringing the doorbell. Heather's in a comatose state of sleep. Russ is sawing logs. The kids have been passed out for hours and I am just ringing the door in between rings. I'm knocking on the door. Russ, Russ, come to the door. I need some food. Eventually he runs and he looks out the kitchen window and he says, man, it's almost one o'clock in the morning. The kids are sleeping, we're all exhausted, I have to go to work tomorrow. I don't care who's at your house, I'm not opening the door. Call me in the morning or go ask someone else. But I'm a pretty shameless guy, so I keep knocking. I'm not going away until you give me some food. Murray is our brother, we need to take care of him. Soon the neighbors are turning on their lights because they've been awoken and Russ gets so aggravated with me in in my persistence that he opens the door, he throws me a bag of chips and a pack of hot dogs and sends me on my way. It's a crazy story, I know. We all know that Russ would open his door and probably make a full meal for me to bring back to Murray. But this is a story that Jesus told as crazy as it is to us, it would be all the more outrageous to Jesus' hearers. Notice in verse 5, he doesn't just ask for some bread. He asks for three loaves of bread to feed one man. See, ancient Palestinians had a huge commitment to hospitality. So, in his words, to have nothing to set before him was a very big deal. It was a problem needed an immediate fix. And one of the key words in this whole parable is in verse 8. Because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Another way to state it is because of his persistence or because of his shamelessness, the man will rise and give to the one who knocks whatever he needs. Now, the idea of shamelessness or imprudence, it doesn't always seem to come in a good way. But if one's cause is appropriate, then a shameless insistence is a good thing. So here, in the light of a commitment within Palestinian culture to hospitality, the imprudence of this man is noteworthy. It's admirable. It was good. It was excellent. It was loving. We would, of course... Expect a guy like Russ to get out of bed and meet the needs of his next door neighbor or a visitor from out of town. But Jesus is saying, even if he won't do it, surely he will get up eventually because of your persistent knocking. So Jesus uses this odd story to make his point about prayer. Let's continue reading in verse nine. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. When we pray, here's the key point of Jesus' parable. When we pray, we are to pray with persistence, not casually. We are to pray with regularity, And this is really a very encouraging statement on prayer from the Lord himself. James writes in James chapter 4 and verse 2, You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. In the words of R.C. Sproul, Consider the riches we have lost from our father's house because we have simply failed to ask for them. You know, as I think about the task of prayer... I can easily convince myself that it's ultimately unnecessary because despite my own prayerlessness in life from time to time, the Lord is still incredibly gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But you see, what we have here from the Lord is this affirmation that our prayerlessness really does affect us and it really does affect the outcome of our circumstances. It's really easy for all of us to look at our busy lives, our checklists, our to do items, and say what I hear so very often from Christian people I just don't have time to pray. Brothers and sisters, I want to plead with all of us, myself included, to consider the fact of what Jesus is telling us. We don't have time not to pray. There's a book with a title I love. I'm not going to tell you who wrote it because I don't commend him as a faithful Bible teacher. But the title of this book is Too Busy Not to Pray. What a fantastic statement. It's true. What I seek to accomplish on my own over hours and days and weeks are things that through prayer God would accomplish through me in ways I never imagined. If only I would humble myself in prayer. God acts when we pray. It's the means he has ordained for our good that we would constantly be reminded that everything is derived from him. Prayer is an act that constantly brings us to the end of ourselves and brings us before the Lord. It is a most humbling act. And God can do more in 10 seconds than we can do in 10 years. We're too busy not to pray. We need the Lord and all of his provision that he freely gives as we ask. Over the course of our Christian lives, it is amazing what the Lord teaches us in this area alone. In my study at home, I have in in huge letters on the wall just above where I a lot of my studying, a quote from Martin Luther. It says, to have prayed well is to have studied well. How true that is. All of our efforts are in vain if we are not bowing our head repeatedly and pleading with God. And I tell you, it's not easy. Prayer does not come Naturally, it seems counterintuitive really, doesn't it? When everything inside of you is yelling, Get to work! Go! Be productive! It takes discipline, it takes reminders from God's Word that prayer is getting to work. And it's amazing that once we pray, so often we begin to think more clearly, our our hearts are more at ease, we begin to see breakthroughs in areas that may have previously seemed so hard, perhaps even nearly impossible. Now listen, God doesn't spare us hard work, but He can make our hard work a thousand times more fruitful than we can make it on our own. God has some amazing ways to help us with what seems impossible if we would only go to Him in prayer first. So often, we say of our prayers that they are hazy in general, right? Those kinds of prayers hardly inspire us to come back to the Lord repeatedly because we don't see the fruit of them. It is the person who prays specifically who has wonderful blessings, who sees prayers answered which encourages a more repetitive effort in the great and necessary discipline of grace before the Lord. The Lord says, ask. In other words, recognize your need for God's help and admit it to him. Ask God to help you. Ask God to make you humble that you might see all the more your need for him. The Lord says, seek. You see, now we're not just admitting our need for help. We're actively seeking it out. We're doing something. We're we're turning to His Word. We're seeking wisdom. There's an action here that requires effort on our part. The Lord says, Knock. And do it with persistence. Even if your friend will not come to the door, keep after it. Do not give up. Persist. And knocking at the door of God in prayer, He will answer. Now, the point in all of this is captured even greater in the, in the way that Luke writes Jesus' words. He writes in what are called present imperatives. Literally, we could read this as keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's a persistence in the attitude of our hearts. Do not take this to mean we're simply to engage in some mystical repetition or some mantra in prayer, but rather we have a persistence of heart. Uh, We continue to go back to the absolute, undeniable reality that God is sovereign over all things, and my trust needs to be constantly bound up in Him alone. What seems clear is that if we do not persist in praying for certain things, perhaps those things are not all that important to us. Or we simply, perhaps more devastatingly, do not persist in prayer because we do not actually believe that those things are in the hands of the Lord. Our persistence is an indication of the confidence that our souls have in the promises of God. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Asking, seeking, and knocking, in other words, being persistent in prayer, is an indication that you trust God. You trust that He will answer your prayer according to His will in His timing. So you see, prayer is not about works, it's about faith, it's about trust, it's not about ritual, it's about reliance upon the God who does all things, and he does all things well. And there's something else about our persistence that's worth highlighting. If you've ever prayed for anything, for any length of time, you realize that God certainly does answer our prayers, but it's not always in the ways that we anticipate or desire, is it? What is God doing in those times? You see, prayer is not about convincing God to do what we want Him to do. It's not as though He's saying, no, and eventually through our persistence, we're going to wear Him down to the point of saying, fine, I'll go ahead and do it, just leave me alone. No, our persistence in prayer is about being conformed more and more into a people who, like Jesus, can go to the Father and say, Lord, here's what I desire. As I look to your word, I see that what I'm asking is not wrong or opposed to the scriptures. But, Lord, I want your will to be done, not mine. For I know that your will is far greater than anything I could hope or imagine. So whatever the outcome of my prayer is, will you help me to trust you? Will you humble me to submit myself to you? Will you humble me to submit myself to your will that you might be glorified through the circumstances of my life now and in the future? That is biblical prayer in accordance with the pattern that Jesus has given to us in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the kind of prayer that sees results. This is the way that Jesus himself prayed and taught us to pray. The writer of Hebrews tells us in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So you see, this isn't about asking God to give us a new Porsche 911 Boxster. And if we just pray long enough and loud enough, He's going to give it to us. God is not a genie in a bottle that's sitting idly by to give you whatever you wish. He's at work in prayer to change us. We're not praying for his benefit. It's for ours to mold us, to shape us, to conform our hearts to his uh, His will and, and to make us a people who are constantly humbling ourselves before him that he will be glorified in us. By our persistence in prayer, we're experiencing greater communion with God and we begin more and more and more to rest in God as our portion. Not ourselves, not our perceived abilities. This is why, in large part, prayer is not optional for Christians, but absolutely required. And time and time again, the scriptures tell us, as we see right here, prayer is an effective tool. It is useful. It works. So we're called to do it. In the Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin deals with prayer, what God does in prayer, what it's for and why we should labor in prayer. He writes this, Someone will say, Does God not know even without being reminded that our difficulties are and what is most expedient for our interests, so that it seems in some measure superfluous to solicit him by our prayers as if he were winking or even sleeping until aroused by the sound of our voice? In other words, isn't God sovereign? Does he really need for me to pray to him? He's not sleeping. He knows our needs. What's the point? He continues, Those who argue thus attend not to the end for which the Lord taught us to pray. It was not so much for his sake as for ours. He wills indeed, as is just, that due honor be paid him by acknowledging that all which men desire or feel to be useful and pray to obtain, is derived from him. But even the benefit of giving ourselves in prayer, which we thus pray, rebounds to ourselves. It is to our benefit. Hence the Holy Fathers, the more confidently they proclaimed the mercies of God to themselves and others felt the stronger incitement to prayer. It is very much for our interest to be constantly calling out to Him. First, that our heart may always be inflamed with the serious and ardent desire of seeking, loving, and serving Him. While we accustom ourselves to have recourse to Him as a sacred anchor in every necessity. We may be prepared in prayer to receive all the benefits with true gratitude and thanksgiving. While our prayers remind us that they proceed from the hand of God. So you see, prayer is for our benefit. Even in light of the fact that God knows the end from the beginning, it is our privilege to bring the whole of our finite existence into the glory of His infinite presence. Do you realize what you're doing in prayer? You are speaking to the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things. Should we do it, lax? Should we be lazy and weak in our prayers? The Lord calls us to ask, and we will receive, to seek, and we will find and knock, and the door will be open to us, and we will trust the Lord with a stronger anchor of hope. And he will be glorified in us all the more. Jesus goes on to further illustrate his point. He uses the example of earthly children and their fathers, beginning in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus ends His teaching on prayer where He began, pleading with our dearest Father. And He uses an example that is a bit of a shocking consideration. A young boy asking his father, may I have a fish to eat? I'm hungry. Sure, son. And as the boy trustingly reaches out his hand to receive his meal, instead of a fish, a serpent is placed in his hand. What a disgrace. Or, Father, can I have an egg to eat? Absolutely, son. And when his father is presumably handing him the egg, he notices, this is not an egg at all. It's a scorpion. And that scorpion feels threatened and it uncoils its tail and it's ready to strike. What kind of father would do such a thing to his son? No father who loves his children would do that. Even those who are evil. Even those who are sinful and at enmity with God would not do such a thing to his own son. Fathers love their children. And despite our sinfulness, fathers love to give good gifts to our children. We desire to meet their needs. We we delight in making them happy and causing them to smile and doing what will bring them joy in their lives. So what we see here is Jesus arguing from the lesser to the greater. You are a sinful people, he says, and you wouldn't do this to your own child. You would give them good gifts. How much more will the Father who is in heaven, who is perfect, who is abounding in steadfast love and mercy, give to His children? The Father has never, ever, ever, ever given us anything but the very best. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Brothers and sisters, do you think what great a gift we have received from the Father in the Son, Jesus Christ? The love of God is shown most prominently in his giving us a Savior who could fulfill His covenant promise to live a perfect, law-fulfilling life on our behalf. Die a sinner's death on our behalf. Taking upon himself the full wrath of God on our behalf. Lying in a tomb that we deserve to be raised from the dead. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. In our own prayers, we may have only asked God for a little help. If it was up to us to decide how it was all going to be worked out, we might ask for a hand up or a little nudge to get across the finish line. But God knew our real need. It wasn't up to us. We didn't want to just ask God to help us pull up our bootstraps. We needed God to change us. We were dead. We need to be made alive to make us new creations in Christ, that we would have a righteous Savior whose righteousness could be credited to our accounts, that we might have a right standing before the Father. Brothers and sisters, we have no righteousness of our own. We are utterly destroyed apart from Christ. So our Father has given us the greatest gift in giving us His Son, that we would have the assurance of our salvation by grace through faith. Apart from works of the law. Friend, do you know the Father who is in heaven as the Father who gives good gifts to his children who ask? I want to tell you, as Jesus says in verse 13, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Have you received the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit works in the life of a sinner to bring them to repentance for sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The command of God on your life, on the life of every man, woman, and child to ever live is to repent of their sin and to believe in the gospel. And I commend to you the God-man, Jesus Christ, your only hope, the only Savior, the only way to everlasting life with God. Will you repent and believe that you too can turn to the Father in prayer and ask Him to give you all the good things that He has stored up to provide for His children? Christian, what a great gift of God to not only save us by the power of His Word in the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ but to also give us the gift of the Holy Spirit in accordance with His Word in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So you see, in all our praying, the greatest gift is the fullness of the Holy Spirit that we, through continued prayer, might be strengthened and nourished, and led, and encouraged. And Paul reminds us in Romans 8 that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit given to us by the Father pleads for us on our behalf. What a comforting reward, right? Brothers and sisters, we can pray with great confidence in the Lord knowing that He hears us. Be constant in prayer, asking, seeking, Knocking and expecting that the Father in heaven will give good gifts to you, His precious, His precious child. We can expect that all that God gives us, whether it seems at that moment in time to be good or not, that it truly is. It is best. And it is far greater than anything we could imagine. What a blessed people we are. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for prayer, for this great means of grace that you've given to us, that we can come before you, our creator, our sustainer, our life giver, our only hope to be rescued from the bondage of sin and death and damnation. Thank you, O God, that through Jesus Christ you have given us access to you in prayer. That you have told us in your word that we simply need to ask and seek and knock. And that we will receive. That you will change us. That you will make us to see that your will is far greater than our own that you will humble us, that we are living less and less upon our own self-righteousness and more and more upon the righteousness of Christ that is ours by inheritance in being adopted as sons and daughters of God. Father, help us to be a people who are constant in prayer according to your word that we would see That we would love, that we would delight in, and that we would rest in your will. Because we are assured by your word that you work all things, all things, all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. All things are worked together according to your will, which is far greater than ours. Help us, O God, to rest in you and you alone that we might love, that we might live according to your word, for your glory, to the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.